Welcome to the Lost in Translations podcast. In this episode, I am lucky enough to hear translators Eleanor Jones and Robert Myers talk about their translation of The Forgery by Ava Maria from Charco Press. Hello, I'm Robin Myers. I am a, a translator and poet based in Mexico City. I'm from the U.S. originally. Very happy to be here talking with you both. And I'm Ellen Jones. I'm also based in Mexico City, originally from the U.K. Uh, I work as mainly a literary translator, sometimes an editor, occasionally a writer, Um and uh, yeah, I think we're we're both here to talk about this book, which I have sitting on my desk. Yes, <laughs> I've started reading it, but unfortunately, I haven't finished it. But I'm really loving it. No, uh, so, yeah. no, don't spoil it. But I'm hoping <laughs> it'll convince more people to read it because I really love the style of it. Does someone want to give a brief? A synopsis, kind of, so people will know what to expect. Sure. How should we do this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can read out the back of the book. Yeah. This is fail Yeah. Safe. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free so, to interrupt each other. <laughs> <laughs> it says, Jose Federico Burgos, uh, is the protagonist, is a failed painter turned forger trapped in surreal, menacing splendor with an enormous Flemish altarpiece, an impish vagabond, and the pair of resourceful yet intimidating twins. He drinks too much, he roams the grounds, and every day that he doesn't succeed in copying the painting, he gets a little bit closer to what's really behind the high garden walls. Paying homage to icons such as Juan Rulfo and Luis Barragan, Ave Barrera's The Forgery traverses late 20th century Guadalajara with the exuberance and eccentricity of an 18th century picaresque. A magnificent, playful caper about identity, art, and friendship in a lush, funny, intimate portrait of contemporary Mexico that's worthy of Hieronymus Bosch. Might give you a better idea. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great synopsis. What? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, like I said, I'm still in the middle of it, and I really like the style. But I was very surprised how funny it was. I like I. It says it's on the back of the book, but I, you don't kind of expect it. It feels kind of like it is meaningful. It is in its place, but it's still unexpected. I feel and like because. The style when I read it, I kind of reminds me of like those beat type um, authors, just really rustic and really gritty kind of style. But then you get this humor in it that is kind of surprising and kind of unexpected at times. And I really love that in the book. I think that kind of is what I didn't expect. What did how did you come about trying to choose this book to translate? 
Well, it was a sort of a circuitous and serendipitous path, I'd say, in that um, Ellen and I had both been living for some time in Mexico City, and we had met but weren't in a great deal of contact for a while. And we had at the same time both started getting interested in the work of this author, Ave Barrera, um, mm. initially because we had both read one of Ave's more recent books called Restauración, Restoration, which we were both really captivated by. And around the same time, we had also both begun collaborating in different ways with Charco Press, um, which ultimately published The Forgery. Um, yeah. And so to make a long story short, we were just sort of suddenly got on each other's radar as as people who were, you know, we're both translators, both living in the same place, getting to know each other as friends um, and really interested in the same author. And so this collaboration emerged, which is also, I should say, the mm. first um one of the first co-translations that either of us had ever done. Um, I was starting another one at the same time, and I think, Ellen, you had said that this was your first two. Um, so it was a new dynamic for both of us, um, but a really exciting experiment um, as a form of collaborative mm. translation. I'm kind of curious. Uh, how does a joint translation work? Is there like a just all over the place or do you kind of set your own style or groove just all over the place um <laughs> i think i suspect it, it varies a lot between you know among co-translating mm. pairs teams yeah. um and yeah we had to kind of figure out how what was going to work for us um and it did involve a little bit of experimenting and uh and a lot of patience i suppose at the be at the beginning when we were kind of uncertain about how to go about it but we um we we found a rhythm that works for us that might not work for for other pairs um but what we what was quite useful about this book is that it's very easily divisible into sections it has um mm. it actually has sections that are almost exactly equal in length it's Uncanny. a very heavy <laughs> book um uh, almost down to like each chapter has the same number of words it's extraordinary um so as a first step we divided it up um so you know I did chapter one Robin did chapter two and we produced a very uh emphasis on the very rough draft um with lots of questions and and alternatives and kind of possibilities and uh, comments in the margins um and then we we swapped uh, and we revised each other's first drafts uh and we answered questions mm. and we gave uh, possible alternatives um and then we kind of kept swapping each of the sections until we got to a stage where we couldn't really even really remember who had worked on which section mm -hmm. first um and uh as that process went on we were kind of um establishing and fine-tuning, I suppose, our sort of joint translatorly voice, which is a voice that's neither mine nor Robin's. It's kind of somewhere in between, um, I don't know, you could say somewhere in the, in the, in the Atlantic, but also somewhere, <laughs> uh, somewhere that's more Ave than either of us. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that worked very well for us. And was very yeah was very satisfying process and it was it the wonderful thing about co-translating is that you can is that you have this other person to rely on you're not responsible for yeah. taking 
absolutely every decision by yourself. Um, and I think Robin and I worked well in the sense that we used each other very kind of consistently and thoroughly as, as sounding boards. And um, it's it's nice to have that confidence in the other person's judgment. Um, I think it makes for, I think the translation is, is better because we both worked on it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Ellen, when you talk about that moment where we, you know, we sort of forgot, you came to forget who had started which section. I've been thinking about that since as, you know, as a, as a, as a stage of co-translation and as a sort of aspiration um, in a collaboration where it's not just that, oh, that's funny, we forgot, you know, but it's a sense of accountability to the whole process and to each other. I mean, I think, and that was also, you know, I think translation is a fundamentally very neurotic exercise. And and I think in this sort of perfectionist anxiety of, oh, God, you know, I have to share, you know, this first draft with somebody else. But we had that as a, as a sort of an agreement. It's, no, we were not going to mm. over edit first. It needs to be rough initially. And for each of us to have both a sense of of respecting and getting to know the other person's decisions and style, but also as a way to be involved with those with those decisions in such a way that, you know, along along the way in reaching that point where we couldn't quite remember who had started what or who had decided, you know, I think this phrase rather than this phrase. Um, there's also just this. I, I think it's it's a window onto something that is to me, very kind of moving and instructive about translation in general, which is that it is always collaborative and you were always mm. hearing other people's voices in your head and you were always trying to do justice to something that's already there um, in some way. Um, and, and I think in order to sort of, it just brings it into a starker kind of relief in working some, with somebody else that you're, you're trying to honor the other person, you're trying to honor the author, you're trying to honor the book and the community of influences that make that book. Um, and also trying, you know, trusting that that your voice is also going to be honored as well. It's a sort of a choral experience. Yeah, it's really amazing because you go into a book, see two translators, you kind of feel like, oh, I wonder if I could notice the two different translators coming out. But everything seems to come across so seamlessly that you don't even notice that kind of thing. And I think that's just a real talent and a real... Um, I guess kind of like shows off the skill of as a translator that you kind of almost appear invisible to the whole kind of process and I think that's pretty amazing how it came across. Well, we're relieved you can't <laughs> distinguish between us. <laughs> that, that, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think we would be disappointed if you came back and you said, oh, I know that that was Alan. And <laughs> Voice one and two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there plans for more books together or just see how things kind of happen? Or? We hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're both quite committed to continuing to work with Awe. In fact, Robin recently translated um, a wonderful short story of Awe's that is that is published in in the US in a magazine called Southwest Review. The story. Uh, mm -hmm. Remind me how you translated the title in the end, Robin, because well, it you was helped me translate the title. It's in mm -hmm. in English. It turned out as movie marathon, um, which is a sort of more of an elusive translation to this 
phenomenon, which I don't think exists anymore, but in Mexican movie theaters is a certain point, you could pay a certain kind of fare and stay inside the theater and watch as many movies as you wanted back to back. And so it's, mm. which doesn't exist in the US, unfortunately, we just have to sneak <laughs> in if we're going to do that. Um, so, but so that was um, part of a, of a different kind of collaboration in that I translated that story for the Southwest Review and Ellen did a beautiful interview with Ave uh, for the same magazine. Um, and I know we're both still really interested in in this later book called Restauración, um, and so the hope is that we will we'll get to translate that together at some point. Yeah, I'm hoping there's more books of her coming out because she is really an amazing author. And She's a wonderful essayist as well. Yeah. Um, oh, I do need some more essays. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to yeah. track some down. I don't know what's in English yet, but. Um, I'm not sure that there's much in English yet, but um, but Ave is is participating in another another project, uh, also by Chaco Press, who is the publisher of of the forgery, um, mm. which will be an anthology of of feminist writing, um, and there's going to be a wonderful essay by her in that in that anthology as well that will uh, at some point see the light. She's an, yeah. an extremely impressive essayist as well so keep an eye keep an eye on her there'll be more in general yeah (laughs) (laughs) well I will I keep an eye on charcoal press anyway Mm -hmm. I practically want every book that comes out from Mm. there so more book from her is definitely going to be great are there any other projects you're currently working on that you want to promote or um just while we're talking about charcoal um I translated a book for Charco by a Colombian writer named Cristina Bendic called Salt Crystals, which is going to be out on September 27th. Um, so that's, oh, and Ellen has it. Mm. <laughs> She's holding it in her hand for those of you who cannot see it. Um, but yeah, that's a project that I've really loved working on um, and I'm excited for it to be out in the world too. That's exciting. Um, I'm also lucky enough to be doing more work for Chaco, I think we're, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're both fans of, of what they have to publish. Um, I also have a novel coming out with them next year uh, by another Mexican writer called Margo Glantz, um, who is just really an astonishing person. Um, she's um, written a novel which in Spanish is called El Rastro and in English is probably going to be called The Remains. Um, which uh, is coming out early next year. So I'm very excited to to see that in English. <laughs> oh, can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be good. Are there, like, recommendations you would give people that like the forgery or are unsure of what to expect from the forgery that you would like in the book to or recommend if you like this one? I'd love to hear your recommendations. Ave, in a way that, um, in often a very subtle way, um, I think is always in dialogue with with writers, sort of more canonical writers who have shaped her and that she's either paying homage to or mm. or resisting, sort of subverting in some <laughs> way, um, which I think is in her second novel, Restauración, is, is even, even more the case. 
But in um, as far as the forgery, I mean, I imagine if you asked Ave this question, she would say the work of, of Juan Rulfo, who's one of the great, great Mexican writers of the mm. 20th century um, and has been translated into English. Um, and she's often exploring his sort of imaginary um, I think also her use of or her her engagement with these authors is such that you can read her books and and take away an enormous amount from them and find them very rich mm-hmm. and engaging without necessarily catching those references, but they're there. Um, and they can be really, I mean, and, and Rulfo is just an astonishing, there's nobody quite like him. Um, so I would say, I would say El, El Maestro Rulfo for sure. Yeah. And also anyone who's, who's ever been to Guadalajara, this novel is... Um, a wonderful sense of place and space. Yeah. Um, Ave is a, uh, an extraordinary talent at describing um, interior and exterior spaces. She's got mm. um, her family has been very connected to to architecture and sculpture and um, and different kinds of art. And uh, the book is in in that sense very visual. I think, um, and so it gives you a wonderful idea of what that city was like in the 90s, um, visually wise. Um, And I think another thing to say about this book is that it's just great fun. I mean, you mentioned, you know, that it's it's funny, (laughs) but I think also, you know, it's sort of romp, quite often a plot-driven book that is quite fast-paced and surprises you as a reader and... Um, sometimes that's what, that's what you want. Sometimes it <laughs> just leads you by the hand, and this one really does it. It's uh, uh, mm. yeah, it's a lot of fun to read. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And she has, I think, you know, in in as Ellen says, you know, this this gift that Ave has for describing both interior and exterior spaces. She has an amazing sort of architectural. I and and sense of of yeah just the creation of a world um and I think that is really borne out in the structure of the novel itself which you know seems feels sort of very very breezy and kind of like as you know you said Ellen it leads you by the hand and yet it's incredibly precise like it's just this amazingly um masterfully constructed sort of labyrinth um and so I think there's a a really just a, a useful analogy, and I think in Abe's gift, um, her sense of architecture, which also has to do with her with her skills as a novelist of creating um, this world that deceives you into thinking it's easy when it's actually extremely difficult to do that. I can't imagine being able to do that. It's real <laughs> skill. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can't imagine it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Like the imagery that she does bring out makes me want to visit these places but also kind of makes me feel like I'm I'm there at times and I think that's pretty amazing but I am curious what made you to move to Mexico to was it because of work or for me it was sort of originally partly because of work um I had just recently started working as a freelancer full-time and remotely and Mm I had this moment of epiphany when I realized I no longer actually needed to be in London for anything um I originally came here just to spend a couple of months um I was already working as a translator but I came here just to spend a couple of months speaking Spanish and going to bookshops and trying to 
you know, meet writers and things. Um, and Mexico basically hooked me uh, and I didn't go home again. Here <laughs> 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 is home very much. So, um, and a number of people did warn me that that might happen. <laughs> and they were right. Um, it's a very, uh, this city is very, very enchanting in many ways it's got um wonderfully hospitable people um and uh and yeah i was one of those for whom uh i, I was it very quickly and uh um yeah very quickly convinced me that this was the place yeah and for me it was a sort of um long winding road that's started in childhood really I had a, a branch of my family it was originally from Mexico and I, I grew up sort of with a sense of, of real fascination um, with with Mexico and with the Spanish language through my dad who had spent a lot of time here as a, as a young man um, and having gotten to visit um, an uncle several times as a, as a child um, I just sort of began to kind of harbor this sense that this is where I wanted to be, but I had to learn Spanish and I had to grow up and I had to do all these other things in order to sort of allow myself to get back at some point. Um, and so, um, yeah, very, very long um, sequence of, of events later, um, I moved here in 2011, um, but in a sort of similar way as, you know, and I had I'd come um you know, intending to spend some time here and I, and I didn't have an end point, but I certainly didn't know that I would end up sort of settling here permanently. I sort of hoped that would feel possible, but I couldn't have imagined it um, at the time. It sounds like a fantastic move. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. Thank you so much, both of you, for agreeing to talk to me about this book. It really is amazing. And I really can't wait to read more from you guys, your, more translations, more Ave, more everything, I guess. Thank Our you. Pleasure. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's wonderful to see the book being read right across the Pacific. Yes. <laughs> All the way to Australia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the readers, it reaches lots of readers over there as well. Um, mm -hmm. Is the book easy easy to get there? It can be, yes, <laughs> but I guess it depends. If you know Charco Press, you pretty much are looking for every cover in the bookstore because they do stand out in, on the they shelves. Do. You notice them. It's like, yes, I need that one. I don't have that copy. <laughs> so I think that's helpful for when you're looking yeah. through a bookstore, trying to find new books to buy. Yeah, Good. so I'm hoping they'll continue to expand and continue to give us so much great literature because it, they really are amazing stuff. I think they are. I think they have grand plans to take over. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe, and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Let's See Under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. 
This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Walgarukabar and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production.